Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. And today we are talking to uh, Sam Cohen. Sam is one of the founding partners of Amazon Consulting Experts. So he's going to bring a totally different perspective because usually we talk to Amazon sellers and we talk about their problems, the crisis and the challenges starting and, and going through the whole growth curve and, and what they experience. But Sam, deals with many of these. So he's going to bring us all different perspectives and um, give us a totally different insight. So Sam, let's start with you. And uh, and by the way, Sam also has been an Amazon seller himself, right, Sam? So walk us through from you know how you started and tell us about your experience selling and then transitioning into providing support for sellers. Yeah, sure. So I've been doing e-commerce for about 25 years, since 1996. Started out selling on eBay many years ago uh, when digital cameras first came out. We were selling tons of products on eBay. We were doing maybe two, 300000 a month in sales. And I went and I bought a house and eBay suspended my account on December 8th, right before Christmas. So... After that, I quickly transitioned. I went into uh, the, the mortgage business and I got out of e-commerce for a little bit. And then back in uh, 2009, you know, I was working at a corporate job making six figures and you know, the whole economy changed back then. And the Chinese parent company basically said, whoever's making six figures is going to be let go or get a massive pay cut. So the writing was on the wall. I left the company I was working for. And for two years, I was, you know, hustling and struggling and trying to make a living to feed my family. And then in uh, 2011, I was selling uh, DVDs in the flea markets and the street fairs and, you know, selling for a dollar a piece. A friend of mine was giving me some DVDs to sell for a dollar each. And he's like, pay me when you get back on your feet. So I was trying to sell them for a dollar each. And I was selling a couple of hundred here, a couple of hundred there. And then uh, I said, let me try to sell a thousand at one time on eBay. And so I put together a listing and I took my own DVDs that I had and I threw them into the mix to make it more appealing and more valuable. And what happened was I had someone reach out to me on eBay and he said, okay, so of these thousand, how many are the good titles and how many are the crappy titles? So we ended up talking and I asked him what he was doing with the DVDs. And he said, you know, I said, are you selling them on eBay individually or are you selling them in a flea market? And he said, no, I have a couple of kids working for me. I pay them $8 an hour and we sell about a thousand DVDs a month on Amazon. Now, at the time, I didn't even know you could sell on Amazon as a third party seller. I just thought it was Amazon selling to the consumer. So I started Googling, how do I sell on Amazon? I started looking at YouTube, how do I sell on Amazon? And there really wasn't anything out there. Even Amazon themselves didn't have any information about how to sell on Amazon. This is 2011, is that right? 
Yes, 2011. Okay, cool. So like so, 10, years, 10 years ago. 10, year, 10 and a half years ago, yes. So I yeah, literally okay. spent 18 hours a day trying to figure out how to sell on Amazon. There was a couple of software companies that were helping sellers. So I agreed to use their software just so they could teach me how to sell on Amazon. And they were taking a percentage of my sales. And I started selling on Amazon. And within a month, we were selling like $25,000 worth of DVDs. And some of the DVDs that I was selling in the flea market for a dollar were selling for $50 on Amazon because they were no longer available. They were out of production. And, you know, I thought I had found gold. And then one of the software companies I was working with kept saying, you have to do FBA, you have to do FBA, fulfillment by Amazon. And me being a, a retailer and a salesman my whole life, I couldn't even grasp it conceptually that I'd buy products, send it to Amazon on what basically was consignment and hope to get paid when and if it's sold. So it took me about six months to get into FBA because I didn't understand buying the product, shipping it to Amazon, and then getting paid if and when it's sold. So once I switched to FBA in October of 2011, my sales jumped immediately from 25000 a month to 100000 a month. And it was just DVDs. And I was literally buying directly from Paramount and Sony and 20th Century Fox and Universal, all the big studios my friend had to uh, put me in touch with their distributors. And so we did that for a while. And, you know, DVDs were obviously declining in sales, but we did about a thousand DVDs a day on Amazon back in 2011. So eventually DVD sales slowed down. We started selling toys. My dad used to have stores in Newark, New Jersey, and, you know, they were apparel and, and, you know, those types of stores. But come Christmas time, he would convert the stores to toys and electronics, you know, for the Christmas season. So October, November, December, we had all the hottest toys, the Cabbage Patch Kids, all the video games. And we, we did a, a tremendous amount of business back, you know, 35 years ago in Newark, New Jersey. So I, you know, used that logic and I got into the toy business, which was also phenomenal. And then eventually we got into pet products and baby products and home products and fashion and footwear. And, you know, to, last year we did over $20 million in sales on Amazon. And, you know, back in 2015, we started doing consulting. So we started working with entrepreneurs that wanted to have their own business. We started working with Fortune 500 companies that needed help selling on Amazon. We started working with retailers uh, that realized that most of the business is going online. And we really found our niche with that. So we've been doing the consulting for six and a half years, and it's been absolutely incredible. So this is back when, when you were doing the DVDs and transition. So those days, being a reseller was the thing, right? Because I also remember I started, you know, before that, but I was also a reseller. And Amazon did not really have as many rules as they have today for resellers, right? Right. So the rules have definitely gotten stricter, but it's still a very viable business model. You know, we have uh, clients throughout the world reselling name brand products like Mattel and Hasbro and Sony and Nike and, you know, all brand names. We also have private label clients that manufacture their own products and get brands and trademarks and, you know, promote their own products. So there's different sourcing methods. There's different business models. 
that we help clients with. Some are wholesale, some are closeout and liquidation, some are arbitrage, some are private label or white label. So there's really different. Some are manufacturers that have their own brands, and we make sure that they, they represent the brand properly on Amazon. They protect the brand image, protect the price, protect the distribution. They get to decide what inventory to put on Amazon. They get to set the price that it sells for. They get to decide who sells it. So there's a lot of different ways to you know maximize Amazon's uh, logistics and infrastructure and technology. Yeah. So tell me, because your approach comes from your experience of being a seller yourself, because you kind of felt the pain directly. So tell me about some of the things that you kind of draw from your seller experience when you offer your services. What is the difference? What, what kind of a difference it makes and how it benefits the client and, and ultimately the sellers who want to be successful like you have? So, you know, I'm very big proponent of, of learning and reading and studying people that have uh, gone before me and, and done things successfully. So I, I spent a ton of time with Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, a lot of business leaders. I've read pretty much every business book ever written. I'm always looking to learn and study and, and figure things out. And, you know, I really have the experience of having done everything wrong and then figured everything out. So, you know, we teach clients how to work on the business instead of in the business. We teach them how to delegate. We teach them how to automate. We teach them how to outsource. We teach them how to eliminate. We teach them how to use standard operating procedures and logistics and infrastructure and technology and processes, you know, so that they can scale their business. Because the goal in this business is to scale it to a point where you're doing seven figures or eight figures and then you could take a nice salary and you could, you know, start investing in real estate or crypto or anything else that floats your boat, yeah. you know, and set yourself up and your family up for generational wealth. So as far as so you mentioned FBA and, and of course, there's the other one called FBM, uh, where you're doing your own fulfillment. Talk to us a little bit about what are the advantages, disadvantages for different sellers who are kind of stuck between the decision-making and they haven't yet decided? Sure. So for the past 10 years, since October of 2011, my store has been on vacation mode, which means you can only buy from us any inventory that we have at FBA. We're not proponents of uh, Fulfilled by Merchant FBM because then you're dealing with shipping out hundreds or thousands of packages a day, a week, a month, a year. You're dealing with lost shipments, tracking numbers, customers complaining, packages getting returned, A to Z claims, negative feedback, all that stuff that you don't have to deal with with FBA. That being said, Amazon has recently changed their inventory limits and their restock limits at FBA. So there is uh, some, some logic to doing FBM as well because they're limiting how much you could send to their fulfillment centers right now because they don't have enough space or labor to handle the volume of billions of products right now. So they're limiting who can send what and how much you could send. And obviously, as we're coming into the fourth quarter, the busiest quarter of the year, people want their products and they want them you know, quickly and they want them you know, reliably. And you know, we have a lot of clients that are doing fulfilled by merchant as well. So how do you handle that limit on inventory? How do you manage it? 
So it's a formula like everything else on Amazon. It's an algorithm based on your sales velocity of what you have at FBA. So if you have old inventory that's not selling quickly, maybe you adjust the price. Maybe you remove some of the inventory. Maybe you sell it on other marketplaces like Walmart or eBay. You know, maybe you pull some back and do merchant fulfilled on that type of inventory. You know, you want to make sure your best sellers are always in stock. You want to make sure your your inventory is healthy. You don't want it sitting stagnant in Amazon's warehouses for months and months. You know, and there's a lot of different techniques that we use to make sure our inventory is healthy and profitable and sells quickly. And, you know, there's... there's uh, so what I'm hearing from you is two fundamental things to me, because there are people who are looking to start a business and they're thinking, okay, I can come up with a product and then have it made and then have it shipped by the factory direct to Amazon, ship a container or half a container, whatever. So what I'm hearing is it's not really the way things are going to work going forward, because Amazon is not going to take a full container or half a container because they have limits, right? Right. Even things that are selling very quickly, they're limiting how many you could send in at a time. They really don't want you sending six months worth of inventory to their fulfillment centers. Yeah. They prefer 30 to 90 days. Also, when you're doing private label or white label, you want to make sure that you're inspecting the goods both in the country of origin, you know, usually China, but we have a lot of clients making stuff in Mexico, Vietnam, India, depending on the type of product it is. So you always want to inspect the goods before you put it on a boat or a plane across the world. And then you want to inspect it again when it gets here to the States, because if you send in a product and it's imperfect to Amazon, that could literally shut down your entire business with customer service issues or refund issues or, you know, defective issues or liability issues. So you always want to inspect it. You know, we have, we work with uh, 3PLs, third-party logistics warehouses on the east coast and the west coast we also have some in the midwest and basically what they'll do is when the goods come into the country they'll do a uh, a test of you know a handful of the products to make sure that they're you know as they're represented and then they'll turn around and ship it to fba on our behalf so what i'm hearing is you have to really work with a 3pl bottom line Yeah, I mean, most of my clients, most Amazon sellers don't have a warehouse, don't have forklifts, don't have employees. And, you know, I learned the hard way that's probably best if you don't. I had a massive warehouse with warehouse managers and forklifts. And, you know, we dealt with floods. We dealt with rats. We dealt with things getting lost, things getting stolen, things getting broken. And, you know, inventory just piling up. And we'll get to it one day and and one day never came. And then you looked and there was like a quarter of a million dollars worth of inventory that needed to be, uh, you know, handled. And, you know, it's, it got its challenges, but, you know, I would tell anyone, you know, try to avoid the expense and the aggravation of a warehouse. I had a bunch of clients that I was prepping and packing and shipping for. Uh, So for me, it made sense to have a warehouse. But even then, I should have just partnered with a third-party logistics and let them do all the dirty work. It's not a fun business, warehousing. So bottom line, you need to have a 3PL who is familiar with Amazon operations because they're going to have to handle the FBA shipments, shipping things. Yeah, and and there's tons of them. And, and, you know, my clients these days... They manage spreadsheets, you know. They have spreadsheets or, or software of what they ordered. They create FBA shipments through Amazon Seller Central or through a third-party software. 
and then they manage the shipments. They make sure they get to Amazon. They make sure they get received correctly. They make sure they get reimbursed if anything was lost or damaged. They make sure, you know, they replenish the inventory. They manage the pricing. They manage the inventory. You know, that's that's part of the game. So if you take shipping out of the equation, you really have sourcing, managing inventory, and managing pricing. Those are your three main pillars in this business. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the right way. So the second thing that I picked up in the conversation is really you need to have algorithms to manage inventory, right? Because Absolutely. if you if you have done a good job promoting an item and it's selling well and you run out of inventory, sales dry up, right? So Absolutely. you have to keep it going. And uh, so those algorithms are not off the shelf because everybody has different situation, right? So you have to develop your own. Everything is custom in this business. You kind of have to reverse engineer what's the lead time to get it from your supplier, yeah. uh, factoring in customs and delays at ports and you know delays at, at getting it picked up from the 3PL and delays at Amazon receiving. So there's a lot that goes into a formula or an algorithm. Yeah. And you know that's what we excel at, having the experience that we have. We become data scientists. We become, you know, everything we do is, you know, in, in massive spreadsheets and we sort and we filter and we do V lookups and we do pivot tables and we do all this crazy stuff that I didn't know how to do 10 years ago, but it really changed the ability to manage the data. You yeah. know, we're managing data, we're managing numbers and, you know, it's it's like a giant video game. You know, it's you're, you're playing a, a game with Amazon and you have all these variables and all these uh, algorithms and all these data points and you have to, you know, figure out the secret formula. It's, uh, I equated to solving a Rubik's cube. You know, you have to know the patterns and the nuances and the intricacies and that's where you're going to make your money. Yeah. So all this stuff sounds like fun. And then suddenly you get hit with an email says your selling privileges have been removed, your listings have been deactivated. So I'm no. sure you've seen plenty of those. Just share with us some of the experiences that you had with crisis that uh, sellers have these days, these re recently. So I have multiple Amazon accounts with express written permission from Amazon to have multiple Amazon accounts. They're less strict about that now. As a matter of fact, they allow it now. If you have a valid business reason to have more than one account, they don't want you selling the same item on multiple accounts because they're worried about being accused of price fixing or anything like that. But I have had hundreds of you know clients and, and non-clients come to me with that exact scenario. Their account was suspended. Sometimes they did something wrong. Sometimes they didn't. You know, Amazon you know, allows anyone to sell, but they also have to police their own marketplace. So there's people selling stolen goods, there's people selling counterfeit goods, there's people saying they're going to ship and they never ship, there's people doing drop shipping and putting in fake tracking numbers. And so there's a lot of things that happen. There's people that are providing fake invoices to Amazon, you know, when they ask, where did you buy it and prove to us that it's authentic merchandise. So I get the phone calls, you know, when people are ready to jump off a bridge and they're like, please help me. My entire business is gone. They're holding a half a million dollars in inventory or they're holding a half a million dollars in, in dollars that they owe me. And, you know, it's not fun. It's unfortunately, it's part of the business. If you hire an expert to help you, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get reinstated. 
uh, unless you've done something totally egregious, at which point, you know, Jeff Bezos himself is not going to get you reinstated. You know, if you've done something like sold, stolen or counterfeit merchandise, or you've manipulated or forged documents that Amazon asked you for, things like that are pretty difficult to come back from. But, you know, when a customer says something's inauthentic and you can provide an invoice from a verifiable supplier, uh, it's usually a good chance that you're going to get reinstated if you do, you know, hire an expert and, and do the plan of action and the appeal correctly. Some are very easy. We literally got a client reinstated in 48 minutes after we submitted an appeal, which to this day still blows my mind. And then there's some people we're working on for months and trying to get it to the right people and trying to get, you know, we got lawyers involved. We sent demand letters to the Amazon legal team, released the inventory, released the funds. It's, it's not an easy game to play. And it is, you know, I tell people, you know, they pay us a lot of money to get them reinstated, several thousand dollars typically. And we tell them there's no guarantees. You know, there's no guarantee when you're going to get a response or whether or not you're going to get reinstated. And we just keep working with clients so we get them, you know, off the ledge. And, and I would say we have about a 98% success rate in, in reinstatement so long as the client didn't do anything totally egregious. Are you looking to sell on Amazon and just starting from scratch? Or are you a CEO looking to add Amazon as another sales channel to grow your distribution and revenue base? Check out Argo Metrics Seller Concierge Services or SCS for short. SCS combines knowledge and technology to grow and manage your Amazon operation. It is delivered through one-on-one coaching sessions and provides access to proven growth tools with 24-7 support created by multiple incorporated award-winning CEO, Nick Urison. SCS will help you hit the ground running and scale your Amazon operation for more quickly less drama. Find the details on the program, visit argometrics.com. So this is a big subject that unfortunately doesn't get enough exposure out there. But one of the things that people think is I can sign up on Amazon. They have the seller university. They have videos and blah, blah. And I can figure this out myself. Sure, they can. But it only gets them in trouble once things start to work because when things start to work, that means they're getting many orders. They start to become a bigger game that will spoil the Amazon experience that Amazon wants to offer, right? And at right. that point, they will shut you down. And uh, so uh, these suspensions are a big deal. And the other thing that I'm finding is you cannot have a two-way communication once you are suspended. Like, you know, they suspend you and then you don't ask them a question because right. they expect you to know the answers. And right. they only want one thing from you, which is what they call plan of action. Right. And uh, so tell us a little bit about what that plan of action is and how it should be handled. Yeah. So a lot of people think they could figure out Amazon on their own. And I could tell you after spending 18 hours a day, you know, for the last 10 years trying to figure it out, I'm still learning. 
you know, people think it's like eBay or how hard could it be? Or, you know, what's the big deal? I'm buying something here and I'm selling it there. It is so complicated that there's, you know, entire industries of people that are Amazon, quote unquote, Amazon experts. Now, you know, we charge a, a hefty premium for our inner circle services, you know, as I was telling you before we got on the air. And, you know, some people call us and, and they say, wow, you guys are expensive. And then we hear from them a few months later and they're like, we need your help, you know, <laughs> because the Amazon could be very frustrating. Amazon could be very illogical. You know, a lot of times they have this, you know, the appeal or the plan of action. They want to know the root cause of, of why something happened, what you're doing to fix it. And, you know, they basically want you to fall on your sword. They don't want you to fight with them uh, saying, oh, I'm not responsible for this or we didn't do this or there's no reason we should be suspended. Which is the first reaction, right? Sellers always sure. say, oh, Amazon is stupid. I've never done that. You know, that's always the first reaction. You know what they say? In the court system, nobody's guilty, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, there are times where they wrongfully suspend sellers. And then there are sellers that game the system like to the tune of millions of dollars. So I'm not going to you know, sit here and say sellers are, are completely innocent. And I'm not going to say sellers are completely crooked. You know, there's there's different types. Thankfully, none of my accounts ever got suspended. We tried to do everything the right way. No shortcuts, no BS, no no goods that fell yeah. off a truck, no goods that were sourced That's exactly by a, by a yeah. uh, you know, a uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? A nefarious uh, supplier or, you know, someone that they would be skeptical of where, where the goods come from, you know. So we're very careful with that. Sometimes people come to us and they weren't as careful or they weren't as honest and, you know, or Amazon got it wrong. You know, Amazon uses bots to suspend people. And sometimes it's done by an algorithm without a human intervention. And, you know, you get a few customer complaints on something saying, hey, this looks inauthentic. You know, Amazon starts to say, maybe the customer's right. Show me your invoices where you bought it. And if you don't give them the right invoices, you got a problem. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, uh, from my experience and also seeing my clients, the best way to deal with suspensions is to avoid them, which means you really need to shoot ahead of the target so that yeah. you know what Amazon expects rather than figure it out because you're risking your whatever money is due to you as well as your inventory. However, when suspensions do occur because they are not avoid, you can't avoid them 100%, then you have to have an educated approach to the situation, not experiment with your answers and blames. on, right. on you, other have, you, have to, you have to proactively prevent your account. Right, from being exactly. The first so, thing we do is we check the buyer messages. We check the account health. We check the voice of the customer. We check to see if there was any returns or refunds. We check to see if there's any complaints, IP complaints or anything like that. And then we look at sales and, you know, all the other stuff. Yeah. So let's move on to a more positive experience on Amazon from seller's standpoint, which is the shopping season. That's when everything goes up. And also they've invented this Prime Day, which is, you know, Christmas during summer, just yeah. to boost sales. So tell us a little bit about, uh, some of the experiences you had preparing for the shopping season and some of the best share with us some best practices that sellers can have preparing for this growth in sales. 
Sure. So we start planning for the fourth quarter, you know, December 25th of the previous year. It's an all-year preparation. We've actually done half of our year's business in the last three months. So if we did 10 million in the first nine months, we did 10 million in the last three months. And it's that amazing. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if you're selling toys, you can expect a 10 to 20 times increase in sales velocity and obviously profits. If you're selling things like shoes, you're still going to get a two to three X times sales velocity. So obviously it depends on the category and some things lend themselves more to the fourth quarter than other things. You know, anything that's gift related, toys, chocolates, any type of gifts, those go through the roof in the fourth quarter, but everything goes through the roof in the fourth quarter. And so we're constantly, you know, seeing what's popular, what's trending, what's hard to find, what's going to be in demand. And we put together a business plan to buy all year for the fourth quarter. And whatever you think you're buying enough, you got to double that because Amazon makes it rain like nobody else. You know, once Black Friday hits and Cyber Monday hits, it's like not to be believed the amount of sales that you can make in a single day on Amazon. And that's the beauty of FBA. You know, if I wake up on Cyber Monday and I have 10,000 sales, there's no warehouse or infrastructure in the world that I can have that would be able to allow me to process all those orders. So you kind of, to get to that scale, you kind of have to leverage Amazon's, you know, billions and billions of dollars of infrastructure and logistics and technology and software and algorithms, you know, but fourth quarter is not the only season on Amazon where you can custom tailor your inventory to some incredible spikes. You know, I have a calendar that I give to my clients and it basically outlines about 20 different inventory surges that we see. So starting with New Year's, we have clients that sell party favors and balloons and, you know, those types of things on Amazon geared towards New Year's, right? And then the next thing we have is Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl is one of the biggest events in the world. Next thing we have is Valentine's Day. Then we have St. Patrick's Day. Then we have Easter and Passover. Then we have Mother's Day. Then we have Father's Day. Then we have Fourth of July. You know, back to June, we have proms and weddings and all that. Then we have Fourth of July. Then we August, we have back to school season. And then it, it just goes on and on and on. You know, September, you have all the Jewish holidays. And then October, you have Halloween. And November, you have Thanksgiving. And then December, you have Christmas. So you can custom tailor your inventory to those events, if you will. And you see tremendous growth spikes pretty much every month of the year if you have the right inventory. You know? Yeah, I mean, this is this is so right as far as the spikes and managing your own fulfillment. Because when I was a seller, we were selling fragrances and hair care items and skincare items. And I would, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, you get together, you have a good time, right? And I would go, just before going to bed, I would get on the computer and I would see the orders triple overnight, yeah. triple. And then, of course, you know, all that happiness turns into like, how am I going to deal with all the shipping? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you always have the people 
that you have to have, doesn't matter what you have in place, you have to have people to pick, pack, and ship. So if you're dealing with your own shipping, that's definitely a big drain on your resources and gives you the most problems without making any money for you. So that's why, that's why I've been in vacation mode for the last 10 years. Yeah. So SBA. Since, since yeah. October 2011, I have not shipped anything to an Amazon customer. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the way. And, we, do and it. we've done a couple of million transactions over the last 10 years. You know, we sell a few hundred thousand items a year. So if you look at it that way, we literally have not shipped one package since October 2011. That's the success of FBA. So really, the bottom line is if you are in a category, because some categories, they're not allowed in FBA. So Amazon won't handle them. But uh, if you pick the right category, then obviously you can handle, you can use FBA. And that's the way to go. Absolutely. Yeah. For anybody. And we, we get people approved to send in hazmat goods and all different types of goods. You know, there's really nothing that you would want to ship yourself unless it's like massive furniture where you don't want to double ship it. And, and, you know, it might get damaged or it might get expensive, prohibitively expensive. If you're shipping it to Amazon and then they're shipping it to the consumer. You know, but for the most part, uh, FBA has been a, uh, a godsend. So tell us a little bit about someone who is who's kind of started doing things because you know how it is. You start doing something and then you start to lose faith because things plateau and you feel you're spinning your wheels and then you start to lose faith. Or you're just starting or you're planning to start. What kind of goals can sellers set in starting an Amazon operation in, let's say, year one and then ongoing? So I like to tell people, you know, that if you want Amazon to commit to you, you have to commit to Amazon. So don't look at your business in the first few months until you're doing it for one year to see if it's a viable business. You have to commit to one year. I'm going to give this everything I have in brain power, in energy, in time, in money, in resources, in learning, you know, how to be a, an expert in this business. And for one year, you go 110%. And then you could look up and see your numbers and you could see the business model if it's successful. You know, but before that, to just jump in and, you know, after 30, 60, 90, 180 days to say, oh, it's not working, you're never going to be successful at anything. You're going to jump from business to business to business and it's just, you're never going to be successful. So I tell people to commit. I tell people to, you know, constantly learn. You know, maybe form a networking group or a mastermind group. You join a mastermind group or you hire a consultant and, you you know, you get someone who's going to give you all the shortcuts so you don't make tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes or you don't spend, waste, you know, hundreds of hours barking up the wrong tree, you know. Anybody yeah. can run 100 miles an hour. You just got to make sure you're running in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you never get anywhere. So right. the, the other thing that I always say to my clients is building an Amazon operation cannot exist in isolation. It has to be part of your, your entire business. It has to integrate. Like, for example, when you buy inventory, if you're an existing business, and unless you're selling exclusively on Amazon, you're also selling it through other channels, through maybe your website a little bit, or you may be doing wholesale. So your inventory is the same inventory. So it has to feed into your Amazon operation. 
And therefore, you have to have processes that work all together with Amazon. And my experience is most businesses don't have any processes. They have no real systems. So they say, they come to me and say, okay, we want to sell on Amazon. And I say, listen, selling on Amazon is going to require an infrastructure. Right. You don't have any right now. You're going to have to build it. Now, that's what I call tail wagging the dog. Because Amazon will come with its requirements and it's going to say, we need this, we need that. And they're going to say, wait a minute, we are only getting a few orders a day. Why do we have to do all that? Once we get more orders, we can do all that. Well, guess what? You'll never get there because you'll either stay small or you'll get thrown out. So that's when you have to start. So my always suggestion is be open-minded to changing your existing business processes to support Amazon because it will benefit your entire business. If you learn from how to build a scalable infrastructure with your Amazon, you should translate that to your existing business as well. Is that the kind of thing also you experienced? And give us some of your thoughts. Absolutely. You know, everyone decides at some point, hey, we want to sell on Amazon. But if you're not set up for it, you're going to fail. We're working with big manufacturers that have, you know, EDI and they have, uh, you know, ERP software and they have all those different type of software and they have multiple distribution centers or warehouses and they're, you know, they're used to shipping, selling to Walmart, you know, on a wholesale level or, or one of the big retailers. And we, we try to explain to them and sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. You have to be set up to succeed on Amazon. You can't just say, oh, we're going to sell on Amazon. You'll be out of business before you blink. So part of what we do is we have them segregate inventory that's allocated for Amazon. And, you know, we come up with systems to work within their internal infrastructure so that they can properly manage Amazon. And really, it's it's uh, unique to each client. So we do a deep dive into their business to understand how it works and how we can integrate Amazon as another sales and distribution channel. But it's it's almost never, you know, simple. Yeah. And, you know, we're working with someone now from Australia. They do well into the hundreds of millions of dollars in sales in Australia. And they're trying to sell on Amazon now. And they've tried before and they failed before multiple times. And, you know, they trusted me to help them. And I said, listen, we got to fix everything before we go all in. And it's taken a couple of months to fix everything with their systems and with their, you know, uh, data feeds and with their software and with their integrations and with their warehouse. And, you know, there's a lot to fix. When a company's that big, there's a lot to fix. And now we're finally at the point where they're seeing the fruits of their labor, you know, two, three months in, and they're starting to see a ridiculous uptick in sales, you know, but it took us, you know, they didn't understand why it's going to take us three months. Why can't we just put the products for sale and start selling? (laughs) And I'm like, that's a recipe for disaster. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, bottom line is it's not easy. You have to know what you're doing and you have to seek professional help because you you are risking your inventory, the the amount of money due to you uh, if something goes wrong. Uh, It's just not worth it. It makes no sense. So that's always my thing. There is no easy day on Amazon, even the best day. Even the best day where orders are going through the roof, you've got inventory problems to replenish. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, I uh, never a dull my, moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one of my close friends uh, is a former SEAL team member. Oh, wow. They have a, they have a saying. And that, that's what applies to Amazon. Any day on Amazon, they say the only easy day was yesterday. <laughs> and that's how it is on Amazon. Is it oh, yeah. The oh, only yeah. easy day was yesterday. <laughs> Literally, you never know what you're going to wake up to. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You got to have a thick skin. Thank you. I mean, this is very useful for people who are just getting into it uh, or planning. So uh, as a final uh, closing thought, it's now that you've been around long enough, you've seen enough, Amazon is also not doing things right. So at policy level, what would you say would be a good change that Amazon would make? Listen, I just want to say the other side. Amazon is, is the best opportunity of anyone's lifetime. I mean, I've made ridiculous amounts of money. My clients have made ridiculous amounts of money. It's changed people's businesses. It's changed people's lives. So I don't want to bash Amazon. They're not perfect, but there's no company, you know, they're a trillion-dollar company, you know, that can't be expected to be perfect. Uh, they process billions of transactions for themselves and for third-party sellers. And, you know, I never want to bite the hand that feeds me, you know. I've been out to Amazon headquarters. They wanted my opinion on what they could do better, and they actually took notes the heads of the department sat in with us for a day and they took notes. And before we got back home, they implemented those changes. So, you know, it's not that they don't listen. It's that they're so big, it's hard for them to, to be nimble. You know what I'm saying? And make changes because the ramifications of a policy change have a ripple effect to millions of sellers and billions of sales and hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, and they're a publicly traded company and they're stockholders that have to be answered to. So I don't want anyone to think Amazon's like this, you know, 800 pound gorilla that that is stubborn and indifferent to sellers. They're not. It's just you're dealing with a massive, you know, anyone who thinks at that level understands the ripple effect of any decision change or any policy change. And it has to be scalable to billions of transactions. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it can't be something that, okay, we're going to listen to every seller when they say they didn't do anything wrong, and, and we're going to have a judge and a jury, and, and you know someone's going to manually review every single trend. It's not scalable. you know. So they have to put systems in place that is, for a company that size that is scalable. That being said, there's a lot of things they can do better, and we're constantly you know, letting people know what they can do better. They could have better systems in place for third-party sellers. You know, third-party sellers make up way more than 60% of all sales on Amazon. I know that's the number that they put out there. Mm -hmm. They used to put out the number 42%, and I would have bet every dollar I had that it was over 50%. And now it's way more than 60%. There's about 500 million items in Amazon's catalog. Amazon only sells 12 million of them. So... The majority of it is sold by third-party sellers, whether it's private label or brands that won't sell to Amazon, whatever it is. But Amazon, they do listen to sellers. They don't always implement changes right away, but you know they definitely need better systems when it comes to dealing with sellers. When it comes to dealing with customers, you know, complaining that something's 
possibly counterfeit or inauthentic or, you know, things of that nature, things that are IP or trademark infringement that leaves a lot to be desired the way they handle that. So there's a lot of things they could do better. And there's a lot of things that they do better than any company in the world. So, yeah, you know, you got to give them the credit as much as the blame. So bottom line, you have to learn to live with whatever their requirements are, and you have to know them at the very least to start with. So. Yeah, and there's people that spend their whole lives complaining about Amazon, and the answer is always, you know, if you don't like their sandbox, don't play in it. Exactly. You know, go do something else. Yeah, I always say this is the, you're playing in their backyard, so yeah. you can't complain. Right, And if you want to go build a Shopify site, that's going to have its own challenges. And if you want to have a brick and mortar store, that's exactly. going to have its other challenges. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of have to roll with the punches. You kind of, I always tell people you adapt or you die in this business, you know? Yeah. If you're not good with change, you're not going to last a minute in this business. Exactly. Exactly. The only thing constant is change. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. You got to be nimble and you got to be adept and you got to adapt and you got to, you know, figure things out. That's what we do all day. We figure things out. How to play within Amazon's rules and make money and, you know, help people make money. And like I said, it's a game. It's all game, you know. Okay. Well, thank you, Sam. This has been great. I'm sure people will find a lot of valuable information. And we'll post your information on our website and this will be out there. So anybody who wants to reach you, uh, they'll find you. And thank you very much. It's been a while uh, uh, of trying to get you on the show. It'll be I'm because you've been busy. Uh, that's I'm okay, sorry. but this was well worth the wait. And My clients come first, man. Exactly. <laughs> thank you very much. And My pleasure. And see you again soon. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.